sit in it for the remainder of the service. That's how it works every week about this time. Hey, we're walking through this series called All In, and I know you're having a lot of fun with your shirts and wearing them, and I've seen you in different uh, uh, places uh, that you go, and sometimes uh, some of you places like you don't normally go, you went there purposely to have your shirt on, and and, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, But the gist, I want to remind you, the word all in is that we would be all in as people who say Windover Hills, this local church that meets here, we would be all in to God's mission and vision for this church. Did you know that the church, not just our church, the church in general, is not a spectator sport? It's not how God set it up. He doesn't need a a lot of people just sitting and watching. He wants a family that would come together and accomplish his mission and his vision. And so this series is about that, being all in to what it would take to accomplish that. And we've been using this simple metaphor as this chair to say, when I'm here standing, I'm not all in the chair. In fact, I'm not in the chair at all. When I sit down in the chair, I can feel my weight go to the chair. I'm all in. I, I'm, I'm dependent on this chair. I'm supporting. I trust the chair. And I, I'm, de, I'm just in it for the duration of me sitting here. Rarely do you ever see somebody sitting just going halfway between their weight in and out of a chair. It doesn't make any sense. That's what we're talking about in the church world. That when we're in, God would desire us to be all in. Now, every local church is a little bit different, and in, in, in their, their focus on God's mission and vision and his word uh, is a little bit different. The aspect of what they're trying to accomplish. At this local church, we've been talking about these things that are central, that we see God's word leading us to be about. And so, two weeks ago, or three weeks ago now, we talked about growing. That really, at its core, the very first thing is, if you aren't growing in your Christian walk— then it's hard to be of significant value to the advancement of the kingdom if we're not growing in our own Christian walk. And so we talked about how central and vital that was that you're taking care of your growth. Two weeks ago, we talked about loving. And that we want to be a church that the dominant characteristic of who we are is that we love other people. We said it doesn't mean like we accept all lifestyles. We don't affirm everything out there as okay by God's standard, but we love. And we walk through Christ's example of loving our family, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, and that the way we bridge the gap sometimes, all the time, and what the, we call that they believe and we believe, is love. And so we walk through that. Last week, I know you sat about 10.30 last week and you did your own personal Bible study for a couple hours. So I hope that was, that was really good for you. Um, this week, we start walking through three aspects that, I want to be honest with you, I think they're going to be a little tougher because they're direct and they're practical. And if we're doing them, we see we're doing them. If we're not doing them, we see we're not doing them. You understand what I'm talking about? So we're going to talk about these three things. Two of them we're going to kind of partner up today because we lost a week. And then next week we'll spend time uh, walking through the third. And I want to say uh, thank you to Catherine and Rodney for uh, making it nearly impossible to work through this sermon with popcorn smell uh, in the background. But uh, nonetheless, I'm going to endure. So this this year, at the beginning of the year in my gym, my coach had this little thing where he said, I want you to take a whiteboard and write on a whiteboard, your little goals in the gym this year. So we did this, right? 
and he took a snapshot of it as well. Now, if you're like me, I just thought, well, that's a cute little thing, and we put it on, and, and, and it was gone. Then I walk in the gym one day, and guess what I see? This big poster as I'm walking in with all of these pictures of goals plastered right up on the wall for everyone that comes in the gym to see my goals, my weight loss goals, my strength goals, all those right up there. I'm like, what is this? What? And then this week I get an email from my coach declaring that here's the steps I want to see you take to accomplish those goals, and here's your accountability partner in the gym as well, and uh, I expect uh, by this weekend that your accountability partner will have connected and talked about a plan on how you're going to hold each other accountable. Well, that was great if it was like a best friend, you know, like Cherie was my accountability partner, but no, he partners me up with somebody I don't even know all that well. Um, and I'm like, what in the world is this? I thought I was just turning in little goals because that's what we did at the beginning of the years, you know, to feel good about ourselves, New Year's resolution and all that kind of stuff. You mean I've got to actually follow out and follow and do these things and you're actually going to put a plan in place that holds me accountable and helps me along the path? That's what he's saying. I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to lie to you, there was a little bit of extra level of anxiety for the goals. I think had I known that, my goals on those whiteboards would have been pretty different. It would have been like, have a happy disposition. You know, and something, you know, like that. See me here every once in a while. It just, but now I feel I'm bound. Can I just tell you, in today and next week, as we talk through these things, I'm going to talk to you like our coach talked to me. I want to tell you, like, hey, to wear the shirt and to walk around and declare the all-in and have fun with the hashtag that we've been doing on our social media, that's great. That's great. That's our little whiteboard. Today, what I want to tell you is your whiteboard's getting plastered up on the wall, and you're getting the email with the accountability plan. That's what these next two weeks is all about, to walk through and to talk practically for our local church, for Windover Hills, what does it look like to accomplish the mission and vision when it comes to these three areas? Make sense what we're doing, what we're walking through? All right, John uh, chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, open that up. We're going to walk through this, this story in just a minute. I'll give you a, a moment to get there. We're going to walk through John chapter 4 and this, this story of this woman who has this encounter with Jesus may be familiar to some of you, but I want to walk through it nonetheless. Um, let me ask you a question. If you found the cure to cancer, like today, this afternoon, out on, you know, your hike, it's going to be nice today, um, like you found the cure to cancer, uh, would, would you hold it in or would you share it? I mean, would you not immediately run to whatever medical profession or medical person was the best one to hear it and share it? With them. If you this afternoon, you just happen to stumble upon some incredible financial find, I don't know, a gold mine or something like, I don't know what you find, but, and it would solve like hunger in the U.S., would you keep that to yourself? Would you say, I'll just fill up my bank and, uh, you know, they were hungry before, they'll get along. Or would you share that? I would guess for every single one of us, if those type of things happen, we would immediately feel compelled to share. Can I remind you, as we walk through this this morning, you have within you, you declare it by your testimony, that you have the living hope for this world and for eternal life. That's what you've locked onto when you said yes to Jesus Christ. 
You say, look, I had this plan and this path this, that I was walking. It didn't work out so well. When I opened God's word and I really saw the truth of what Jesus was sharing, I said, I am all in on that. And I declared it with my voice that I'm going to follow this Christ. And I don't always get it right, but that is the defining factor that dictates and guides my life. And let me ask you, do you share that? Do you keep that in? Or do you tell somebody else about that? Do you share it with other people, this hope that you found for life and for eternal life? That's what we're talking about this week. 85% of Americans say this. This is a a Barna study. 85% of Americans would accept an invitation to a Christian event or worship, but only 2% of Christians ever invite anyone. 85% said, look, I'm not really into it. I don't even know what it's really about there. I I mean, what's a a school? You meet at a school? I don't even understand that whole concept. Um, But 85% in this Barna study said, yeah, I would go to that. It's not like I'm all anti-God or anti-the church or, you know, this is just ridiculous stuff I'd never walk in. I would go to that if I was invited but only 2% ever actually invite. So let me ask you, if 98% of believers never invite someone to experience Jesus or to a church service, would we say, could we declare with certainty and with authority that we are all in to God's mission and his vision through the local church? Wouldn't quite make sense to make that declaration. So what keeps us would be the question. What is it that keeps us from sharing our faith or inviting others? Uh, maybe it's just simply fear. I don't know what the right words are to, to invite somebody or to talk to somebody about Jesus. Maybe it's a fear of like, hey, you don't know my work situation. They've got these very strong tolerance rules. And, if, you know, if I, and, and, and I understand, and, now in, and nowadays, it's always in the hands of the accuser. You know, that's the person that's protected the most. So you're just fearful about, like, I don't even know how to get into it and say anything without it coming off sounding like, you know, religious harassment as well. Maybe, though, for you, it's just simply, I just feel ignorant. I don't know the Bible like my spouse knows the Bible, you know, or I don't, even my kids come home from youth group, and I feel like they know more about the Bible than I do. So I'm a little fearful if they ask me a question, how in the world do I even answer that question? And so what do we do? we kind of clam up and we make it something we are a little more uh, fearful of speaking about. Here's the truth, though, in, in our nation still today. This is from 2004, so it's, it's a little, little older, but still, still a pretty good snapshot and fairly close to us. 92% of U.S. adults say they believe in God. Say they believe in God. 84% of U.S. adults describe themselves as Christians. Now, granted, some of you right away were, well, what do they mean by Christian? Not the point. 84% would say they're Christians, and so there's this concept and understanding of of God and even following him. 48% of U.S. adults believe they can go to heaven by doing good works. So we find that the dominant amount of people believe in God, the dominant amount of people would even describe themselves as Christians, but only half even have a theological understanding of what it means to be Christian out there. Folks, 
can I just let you know that when you look at those numbers, your heart might dwell on that last number, the 48%, and like, man, they don't quite know. My heart is overjoyed at the 92 and the 84%, because it means there's always a little avenue opening for me to talk about God, or for me to have some type of God conversation, which could lead to some type of invite. So here's what we're going to talk about this morning, and just let this passage speak to us, is how do we share our faith? How do we share our faith without, because uh, it's our fear sometimes, without being obnoxious or being rude? Can I share with you a phrase? And I wanted to stick uh, with you well past this morning, but we're going to walk through the, the passage. Uh, the phrase is this. In sharing your faith, you've got to look for the door, and you have to respect the door. You know what I mean when I say that? You have to look for the door. It means I'm looking for the opportunity to share the— What is the in? How do I get in this place and, and share my faith with this person? But I've got to respect the door. Why? Because sometimes the door is slammed up tight shut. And God's not asking us to go in with a battering ram and, and blow it wide open. Look for the door and respect the door. Let's just see how Jesus handles this situation. It's in John chapter 4. It's a, it's a long passage, uh, most of chapter 4. Um, so let me kind of overview it, but you can drop your eyes on it and kind of walk through it. Uh, Jesus decides he's going to go through Samaria. And right away, that's a big deal because Samaritans were considered unclean by the Jews. Uh, and so going around Samaria was a very common practice. I don't even want to be near those people. Plus, they just flat out didn't like them either. And so it would have been very common just to go around and avoid the situation altogether. They go through Samaria here, and we find that Jesus, in the middle of the day, he comes to this well called Jacob's Well. And when he comes to this well, he comes and he sits at this well. His disciples uh, head into town to return later. There's Jesus, right? And a woman, we find in this passage, comes to draw water from the well. Right away, culturally, we learn something about this from just from that simple line right there. Women would not have come to, in the middle of the day to draw water. That's the hottest time of the day. You need your, your water from the beginning of the day and use your water throughout the day. So coming midday would not have been the time. They also would have never gone alone. It's still, it wouldn't have been safe for one woman to go by herself. And so they would have gone with several women together would have gone. They would have worked together. This would have been their opportunity to fellowship together. Um, and it's also the opportunity to make the work of carrying it light if it needed to happen as well. But this lady comes in the middle of the day and she comes alone. It tells us something uh, about her here that most likely she has, she's some outcast. She has some disconnect with culture. She's maybe even shunned to, to some level and we find out a little bit about her personally later in the story. So Jesus is there, and this woman comes in the middle of the day. And here's another kind of no-no in the culture time, is for a man to address a woman alone would have kind of been a a no-no in culture as well. But Jesus, we find that he kind of goes against that, and he speaks to her. Would have been commonplace for a man to just totally ignore her entirely, but Jesus speaks to her. And we've already mentioned the the component of him being Jewish and her being a Samaritan, that that adds this other issue as well. Because culturally, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. That's the setting we find here. 
then the conversation begins. And Jesus just simply says, hey, uh, will you give me a drink of water? And the lady's like, well, how could you ask me for a drink of water? I mean, she understands the weirdness of this situation right away and says, how, how do you ask me for a drink of water? What do you think Jesus is doing here? He's looking for the door already with her, looking for it. And so Jesus uh, responds to her down here in verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus kind of takes this little opportunity to talk about uh, just a drink of water from a well, and he flips it and he starts to throw this little spiritual component into it as well. And the way Jesus says it here, this living water, you can sense that it would leave a question on the table that almost baits the woman to come back and ask or to respond. And we find that right after this, she says, um, sir, um, you don't have anything to draw the water with and the well's deep. Where do you get this living water? So you can see she's confused by this metaphor and what Jesus is getting at here as she's still thinking well and real water here. And then Jesus, of course, uh, as he often does, he goes on and says, like, anyone who drinks of this water that you're talking about, they're going to thirst again. And we know that, right? You, you just thirst again a little bit later, especially on a hot day. And then Jesus talks about this living water sustaining her. And so now you can see Jesus, he's starting to make this spiritual connection. It sounds pretty good to her. She says down in verse uh, 15, the woman said to her, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So I'm all into this, spirit, this living water. This is great. She still sees it as physical water, magic water. I'm going to take a drink of this. And I'm never going to have to walk to this in midday again to draw water. I'm never going to be thirsty again. She doesn't quite get it. So what does Jesus do? Um, this is that time where uh, Jesus throws out the, the, the statement that would kind of startle her a little bit. or just uh, It's kind of the turning point in the whole conversation. And she understands this guy is talking about something different than this water. And he says, go call your husband. Just go call your husband, have him come back. And she says to him, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know, you've had five. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. You see, even for a second, you could see her thinking, what does he want a husband or a guy to come? Is this going to be really heavy? Is this going to be a major job here? What's, what's going on? And then he throws something personal. How could he possibly know here? I mean, she's a Samaritan. She's a woman. He's just passing through. It's not like, you know, she, he can Google her name and find out information here. How could he possibly know? So what does she say? Hey, uh, uh, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. And there would have been plenty of religious leaders in, in the day who would have been declared prophets and could say things on this level. And so she says, clearly you're a prophet. And instead of talking about the five husbands and the guys she's living with, she flips it a little bit. And she asks a theological question, too, to kind of throw off the conversation. Do you ever do that when, like, somebody asks you a question and you're really not interested in answering that question? So, you know, you say, hey, what's that over there? That's kind of what she's doing here in this conversation. She just throws out a theological question. We even do that in this day and age. Um, She says this, hey, I see you're a prophet. um, So tell me, Jesus, do I 
do I tithe on my gross or do I, I tithe on my, my, no, she doesn't actually say that. Um, or, you know, if I come to church three times a week, is that okay? What's the tipping point? Or we, we have some things sometimes that trip us up in our faith when Jesus is trying to make this personal connection. And she says, she's talking about uh, where are we going to worship? Is it on this mountain? Where, where is this going to happen? Jesus just bypasses this entirely and talks to this woman about worshiping in truth, worshiping with our whole life, worshiping with all of who we are, worshiping the truth, worshiping God is how he answers her here. Then she says, look, I I know Messiah, this Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything. Then Jesus leaves a little aha at the end and says, I'm the one. That's me. The one you're talking about, Messiah that's coming, it's me. This is the interaction she has with this woman. It would have been easy to avoid it entirely. Just go around Samaritan. Those people are dirty. They're rude. They're mean. They're unclean. God hates them too. So let's just go around. We'll bypass the whole thing and we're out. Would have been common. Would have even been acceptable. Nobody would have looked at Jesus as a rabbi and go, he's kind of a bad rabbi for doing that. They wouldn't have even looked at that in the culture. Would have been acceptable. Jesus, let's go through Samaria. I'm going to sit at this well, and when this woman comes up to hill, just ignore the woman. I mean, she's a woman, uh, subservient to us. Man would have been culturally acceptable at the time. Jesus, just ignore her all the time. I don't know. Maybe she was struggling with the water and getting it up and carrying Who knows? But Jesus could have just ignored her. It would have been done deal right there, moved on. Nobody would have said, Jesus, you are a terrible rabbi. And this woman right there, you could have at least had conversation with her. No one would have said that because it would have been acceptable. But Jesus pushes past all those because he's looking for the door. He's looking for the opportunity to just open up and speak to her about spiritual things, about God things. And he finds a way to immediately apply it to her personally and where he knows she's struggling here. She's hurting. Can I tell you what I think we do when we look for the door? I think we look for where we disagree with somebody else, and we try to shove in why we're right and they're not right. Jesus looks for this personal dilemma in her life that she's dealing with. Obviously, she she was really struggling uh, on the male side, in the human side, or excuse me, the husband side of things. Jesus found this, this avenue that he could speak into our life and open up the door. So here's a question for us. How do we do this? How do we share our faith with other people? How do we even open up opportunities to invite people to come and to be in church with us? Let me just walk through a couple things really quick with you. They're in your notes this morning, so if you're one that really wants to get that, uh, that blank filled out, this is for you. Uh, number one, go where lost people are. Go where lost people are. Notice what Jesus here, he could have bypassed. He went into Samaria. Probably before too long, if he was willing to engage with the Samaritans, there was going to be some opportunity to talk about God. Now, it wasn't that the Samaritans were like totally ignorant to God. Uh, I mean, there's this similar past and connection. Um, But at some point, he was going to be able to talk to them. Our same world is like this. It's not that people are just totally ignorant to God out there. 
they understand this concept of God, the Almighty, Jesus, His Son, salvation even many understand that. But they need to be pointed to how He impacts their life, to what He brings to their life, what He brings to your life as well. So we have to go look for lost people. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's simply saying there in that passage, when you go out in your life, your family, your friends, your work, wherever, if you're a student at school, every single person that doesn't know Jesus Christ, God is passionately pursuing them. And his hope and his desire is that he could use you in the process. You, to open up some door and talk to them and share with them. The harvest is not, uh, it won't self-reap, but it can self-destruct if it's not reaped. What's that mean? At the end of the, the season, you know, the the fruit, or the vegetables, or whatever you like to plant, uh, at some point it's got to be picked, right? It doesn't just like fall off the vine and next thing you know it's in your kitchen sliced up to go in a salad. I mean, you have to actually pick that fruit. Jesus uses this metaphor helping us to understand that he's called us to go out there to look and see what has he already done? What has the Holy Spirit already been working in people's lives? And when they're ripe and when it's time... Share with them the hope that we found in Jesus Christ. That's the harvest. I think many of us are content more to let the fruit fall to the ground, to start to rot, and then we look at it and go, ha, told you. I mean, that's, I I told you you were coming for destruction. You, You were headed towards it. I told you. But God wants to use us in the harvesting when the time is right to speak a word and to share our faith. Second thing is become a friend. It seems simple enough. I mean, Jesus got kind of relational and connected with this woman right away. We don't see any passage about him setting up a pulpit, starting to preach. Um, it, it, we don't even see necessarily that, that he walks through anything that looks like a well-organized uh, argument as he walks through. It's just conversational. It's relational, conversational. Can I tell you that... Um, it would be really easy, like if I just wrote out like a sermon, uh, maybe it's like the, the Roman road that, that we learned when we were little, and we, I walked through those passages that talk about salvation and saying yes to Jesus and forgiveness of sin and all that, right? And I just had this like really quick three to five minute sermon that I wrote out, and I mean it was just so good and so impactful that all I had to do was just plop down anywhere, the park, the library, anywhere I go, and I just plopped it open, and I just started preaching verbatim that three to five minute sermon that I'd wrote down from those key passages, and people just flooded and just flocked and came. I've never had that kind of experience where I've just plopped down at the library and people have flooded. In fact, I, I, I know a lot of pastors all the way back from seminary. I've never heard of a pastor that just plops down in the, the library and preaches a sermon out loud, and people just come and flood. But I have heard my pastor friends, my Christian friends, anyone I've heard from at times that you can go and you can just open up this conversation and the next thing you know, like, man, I was at the library and I just asked somebody about a book. 
I'd just ask them what they were reading, and the next thing I know, we're talking like philosophy, because they were reading some philosophy thing, and then I said something about, hey, have you ever even read anything about like religious philosophy or anything? And then Nick, five minutes later, before I knew it, we're talking about his aunt dying and, and, and not being sure where she's going and all this kind of stuff. That's the type of thing that happens more often, that relational connection in somebody's life. That's what Jesus is doing here. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus just said, will you give me a drink? Didn't sound too threatening there. Just, I'm thirsty. It's hot. It's desert. Can I have a drink there? And Jesus opens up the door for that. I think Christians and us, the local church here at Wendover Hills, we need to be the good news even before we share the good news. Just be a blessing in caring for others before, <coughs> excuse me, before we actually even share the good news. Number three is know how to move from the trivial to the spiritual. The trivial to the spiritual. Do you know what I'm talking about when, we, when we're talking about talking about the trivial? All right, so I've got a buddy. Um, and I know he's going through some things. He's been going through some things for, for the last about five years of his, of his life. A couple struggles in some marriages. In fact, they failed marriage. He's in one now. It's a little bit of a struggle. Um, grown kids, and there's been some struggle relationally in that. And now there's a lost job on top of that. Um, I really so badly want to discuss these things and how I, I, I just I see how he could find his way back on a more stable footing in life. And I'd love to talk about the foundation of Scripture and those type of things. So when I call him, we always kind of get in and we talk about baseball. Because big baseball fan, um, grew up in Southern Cal together. So we talk baseball, angels, uh, sometimes Dodgers, um, Braves for me. Um, we just talk this, right? I find that we can talk in significant dialogue about these baseball teams and what player is going where and what are they getting paid and what are we going to do next year with this team and this roster and on and on and on with significant detail. Sometimes I can just hold the phone to my ear and he can just go. And you know, all of this kind of stuff. But I can tell you, if, you're, if you ever said, Tom, how do you shut him down on a conversation? Just ask one personal question. Hey, how's that job hunt thing going? Good. Good. Because it's so hard for him to talk about anything that's not trivial. But here's a difficulty. If my whole strategy in, <coughs> in wanting to talk to him about Jesus and wanted to find this open door to talk to him about a biblical platform, a biblical foundation in his life, if I never move past the trivial, if I just stay in talking about the baseball trivia and the, and the contracts and da 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 then there'll never be any opportunity because I know that's where his heart's going to always stay instead of wrestling with some of these difficult things that are going on in his life. And yet I know him. He's not like, man, I so want to be in this situation in my life. This is, this is awesome. It's good. He's struggling. I can see it showing up at different places. But you know what he needs? Me to move from the trivial to the spiritual. You could think of a friend right now. You're like, man, that's how my conversations always are with them. I need to find a way to, to move to the spiritual. I don't want my whole relationship with them at the end of 30 years of friendship to have always been about baseball contracts and baseball free agents. I'd love it to be one day he said, you know, 
for years, we kind of talked about nothing. And then before I knew it, I was on my knees accepting Jesus. And now we talk about what God is doing in our life and how we're serving in our churches and, and whatnot. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Jesus is transitioning and moving towards that. This is a particular situation where Jesus uses more statements. We find other times in the Gospels where Jesus uses questions that actually help too. It says in 1 Peter, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared. Remember the first week when we talked about growth? That's what you're doing. When you're growing in your Christian walk, you're constantly preparing yourself to share your faith. God is not interested in how much biblical knowledge you have. If you can go out with the quizzing team and win right now, it's a nice thing. It's wonderful for kids to do, and as they learn scripture, it's great. That's not your ultimate goal. God wants you to share your faith. Share your faith. And so that's what we're doing. We're building ourselves up because when somebody turns and says, I don't even understand how this Jesus thing works that you people talk about. Can you just explain it to me? That's your opportunity. And to be prepared. That's the spiritual, not the trivial. Four, don't let people get you off target. If you have a focus and a target and you want to share with them about Jesus, respectfully try to keep on that target. Notice how the woman here, as we talked about, our, our, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we m- must worship is in Jerusalem. She was trying to ask a theological question that would get off the topic and not have to deal with the personal thing. You know what? A theological thing like that, where it's so central that we have a strong theological foundation, that statement is the answer to that question she had, that's not going to change her life. What's going to change her life is listening to what Jesus has to offer as he's speaking about this living water here. <coughs> In this, this statement, people want to talk uh, about religion or tradition. They want to talk about belief system and theology or tradition or, or uh, history. What did the church used to do and why did they used to do this? And those are things where they're important for us to have answers and talk to, it can get us off topic of sharing who Jesus is and what he has to do with our life. And then finally, verse 5, we need to observe God's power at work. It says, Then leaving her water jar, the women went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because he, had a, because he had a conversation at the, at the well with every single person that came out. They just formed a big line. And he went with one, and they moved on, and another, and they moved on. And, uh, maybe with some. I don't know. The Scripture doesn't tell us. But what the Scripture does tell us, many believed because of this woman's testimony. Because she shared what Jesus did in her life. Others came and believed as well. Can I just tell you, that's about a simple a plan that God would have for sharing his faith as he could ever come up. But it's brilliant to just share what he's done in our life. And there's something about that, that God's power takes over 
what God's Holy Spirit has already done in somebody's life, and it comes to fruition that somebody comes to know Jesus. Here's the takeaway this morning. Just simply, who are the three people that God wants you to impact for Jesus? Uh, Who are the three? Like for you, you might be like, man, I know it's so clear. Or maybe you just need to sit and start processing and praying. Maybe you deal with so many people every day and it's so hard to open up this kind of dialogue and relationship with every single one of them. Who it is God has specially put on your heart to share the good news. And then could I tell you, as we're talking about being all in, can I tell you and challenge you, boldly invite them to come join you here. To come, choose the right Sunday. Choose what will set up for them. Take them out to lunch afterwards if that's your thing. We, we use that, that all the time to, to share with you. Hey, come have lunch with us. Our best day is like Sunday after church. So why don't you come on over to church and then we'll go to lunch together. It's open enough that it's like clearly what they know what I'm asking of them. You know, it's not like, um, let's go to lunch. Um, and we're meeting at 920 Stagecoach Trail for lunch. 1030, it's kind of a brunch. Well, we'll eat at noon. Yeah, I mean, I, they know clearly what, what I'm asking and what I'm inviting them to. But it softens it by just saying, hey, I want to spend some time with you and together. Boldly invite your friends to come. 2% of Christians. When I look at Wendover Hills, I mean, what kind of impact if we said part of being all in is the practical of sharing my faith and inviting people to come be a part of what God is doing in this local church, praying for them daily that one day they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior too. I know it works because I look out and some of you are sitting here because of it. And some of you now have testimony in Jesus Christ because somebody was all in and shared and they invited. This is rubber meets the road, practical, all-in type of stuff. So I want to pray for you in this. Because when you get out there this week, my guess is it'll be hard. I do it almost every single day. And you would think as a pastor, he went to seminary for this stuff. Probably really easy for him. It's just as hard. It's just as hard. But that's my commitment, and I keep praying that God would lead me and show me and guide me in how he wants me to do it. I'm going to pray the same for you right now. Would you pray with me? Father, I know, Lord, that you have, uh, you have a whole sphere of influence out there that you want us to impact and share. And Lord, thank you that you have not said that we have to be uh, uh, obstinate or rude or, or loud. Uh, you've not said you need to craft out like a five-point sermon You've not said any of that stuff. You have just simply said, grow in your walk. Be prepared in your own walk with me. And then share with me. Share with others about me. And just love them and be in relationship. Look for the door and share. And Lord, I just believe this week that most people in this room, they don't even need a week. They probably don't even need five minutes to know who it is that you've already called them to impact and to share who you are with them. And Lord, I pray this week you would open up opportunities. You would just open up the door, places where they can be a a relational, loving friend and places where they can share who you are and what you did in their life that you might also do it in the life of their friend, their family, coworker, fellow student, whoever. Lord, I recognize this week Satan would love nothing more 
than to make us completely complacent in sharing our faith. In fact, Lord, I'm not sure that, that Satan needs to, to go around doing a bunch of this like demonic attack that we see in movies sometimes as much and just make us feel like, hey, that's sharing, that's not really for me. And he curbs the growth of the kingdom. And yet God has said in his word, I don't want to see anyone perish. I want everyone to come to know. And so, Lord, use us to that end. May we be able to boldly stand and declare as, as people who call Windover Hills our home, I am all in to God's mission and purpose here. And part of that all in is that I share my faith and I invite to come and to experience it here as well. And Lord, may we be able to look out every week from here on out and declare the blessings in front of us from that type of all-in commitment. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. All right.